listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, June the 3rd, in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And if you've been listening to Law and Gospel recently, we went through the Lenten season. Then we went through the Easter season. Uh, We had Ascension last week. Uh, This week, we're going to be examining Pentecost. And, of course, the week after, Holy Trinity Sunday. I was thinking it might be a kind of a good idea. A lot of people hear about Pentecost in church, and that's the occasion when, of course, the disciples were allowed by God to speak in different languages to share the message. But you might want a little bit of a background as to what Pentecost was. Pentecost was definitely a festival of the Jewish faith, where on the evening before Pentecost, Pentecost Eve, the priests would gather in the inner court of the temple, and all over the ancient Near East, uh, people would come because they were going to offer what they had harvested uh, to the priests uh, on their farms, etc. In fact, there were uh, instrumentalists, who led the farmers uh, up Mount Zion, and they sang the song of Ascents, which was Psalm 120 to 136. Now, one of the things I was kind of unaware of is that when the offering was given, the farmers would give what in whatever containers they brought their offering to the priests. And the farmer would step forward individually, and they would say the liturgy of recitation, which is found in Deuteronomy 26, verse 3. He then would take whatever he had brought to the priest, and he and the priest, let's say it was in a basket, they would wave it back and forth as a wave offering that was to God. That's where the idea of wave offerings came about. And then they would recite in Hebrew, Deuteronomy 26, 5 to 10a. It begins, a wandering Aramean was my father. And then he would leave his produce with the priest and turn around and the next farmer would take a place. Well, there was a a little problem that occurred is that a number of the people were unable to speak Hebrew. And so the priest would lead the people in saying a part of that Deuteronomy 26 item. But then it became embarrassing because they didn't know all of it. And so they began to stop bringing their offerings the priest then decided that they would lead the people through the entire recitation, whether or not they knew the Hebrew. And that way they continued to receive everyone's offering and retained Hebrew as the language of temple services. Now, it's somewhat interesting that God chose this festival for sending the Holy Spirit. Why? The first reading for today is actually from Genesis, the Tower of Babel. Remember, 
at that time, everyone was really from Noah and his family, so they spoke one language. God recognized that they wanted to build a tower up into the heavens, and so in order to put down their pride, he allowed all kinds of different language to take place. It's really interesting that on the Pentecost, the reverse takes place, where the disciples who did not know all these languages began to speak in other tongues. Now, one of the points I want to make here is a distinction, and maybe you've heard it or not, we've talked about it a few times, versus description in the Bible versus prescription. What am I talking about? A lot of times the Bible describes what is going on. And when it came to Pentecost, at the beginning of the 20th century, there were a group of people who called themselves Pentecostals. And they studied what had happened during this festival of Pentecost on the part of the disciples. And they concluded that all Christians should speak in tongues or prophesy as Acts 2 did. Now, I attended a service some years ago, and they taught that unless you were able to speak in tongues, then you could not be sure you were saved. And there was this woman that, oh, there were a bunch of people surrounding her, attempting to get her to speak in tongues so that she could be sure she was saved. There's a good example of getting the description mixed up with a prescription. You see, a description is simply saying, this is how God did it then. A prescription, you know, when you go to a doctor, maybe you have a headache, and he prescribes to you a particular medicine, well, then you should follow that. Well, what happened is the early day Pentecostals believed that the Acts 2 event was prescriptive. It's what every Christian should do rather than being descriptive. Now, it's not that there is not a place in Acts 2 that is prescriptive, but it occurs at the end of Peter's sermon. It's in Acts 2, verse 36. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, and he's referring to Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the, the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, that's Gentiles, everyone whom our Lord our God calls to himself. And so 
they say that there were about 3,000 souls that were baptized that day and were added to the church. Now, Peter does not say, oh, you want to be saved? Well, speak in tongues like I'm speaking. Then you'll know you're saved. You see, that's something you do. Whereas when he says be baptized, in the original Greek, that actually is a passive. It's not something you do. It's something that's done to you. Baptism is really not your work. It's the work of God. And in that baptism, when water is applied to you, you receive two gifts, the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the prescriptive part of Pentecost, not the descriptive part of what happened to the Christians. So there are so many occasions when people think the description part is more important than the prescriptive part. For example, some churches have house rules, like you're not allowed to play cards, you're not allowed to drink, uh, you're not allowed to gamble, all kinds of things like that. Now, why do they do that? Because they realize that it can be overdone and lead to sin. So to protect yourself from sinning, they outlaw all of these practices. Well, that's not understanding the Bible correctly. Uh, you can drink alcoholic beverages as long as you don't do them to excess. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Jesus did that when he gave out the Lord's Supper. He used wine. He did not use grape juice. So it's really important to understand that. Therefore, when we're looking at the Bible, we want to be careful that in the description of what is happening to certain people that we don't make it prescription. Uh, it happens in countless places. For example, in John chapter 9, Jesus is talking with a man born blind since birth. He tells him to go to the pool and wash, and he will see. And he does that. Now, is that a prescription that we should be telling all blind people to go to that same pool? And if they wash, they too will see? Of course not. That is simply the description of how Jesus did that in that particular situation. One of the ways in which it's quite easy to know the distinction between description and prescription is whether or not there is a promise connected to it. And so when Peter says, be baptized and you will receive these two gifts, that would definitely be a prescription. Now, it's only uh, in the reading a portion of Peter's sermon at Pentecost that is in the epistle reading from Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 14. So let's kind of take a look at that. Peter, standing with the 11. Oh, what happened to 12? Well, remember, Judas was not there lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, it could mean that at that time, remember in the previous 
verse, Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. So standing with the 11 would mean that Peter was number 12. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now at Pentecost, people had come all from great distances in order to give the first fruits of their farm work, etc., to the priests as a sacrifice to God. Now, they had heard these individuals, the disciples, speaking in other tongues. And some people said, well, they are drunk. Peter says in verse 15, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, the third hour of the day was actually the hour of prayer and sacrifice at the temple. And so, obviously, people would not be getting drunk at that time. He says, instead, what they are talking about is that which was said through the prophet Joel. Now, remember, I keep saying that the best Bible study that ever took place was Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples who were totally confused as to why he had been crucified, why he was in the tomb, and what did it mean when they heard he had risen from the dead. Jesus explained and opened up the scriptures by going back to the Old Testament and finding verse after verse after verse that explained the necessity of the crucifixion, the burial, and, of course, his resurrection. And now he's quoting from Joel, Peter does. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, when we're talking about prophesying, we're not talking about people able to tell about the future. Yes, some prophets did have that gift. Jesus himself did. Remember, he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, which occurred in AC, uh, I'm sorry, 70 AD. And that's kind of important because that was 30, 40 years after Jesus rose from the dead. But to prophesy meant to proclaim the word of God. In fact, how many times have we heard a grandchild convince their grandparents to return to church? The grandchild may be attending Sunday school. They hear about Jesus. And one day they're talking with their grandparents and talking about what they're learning. And the Holy Spirit moves the grandparents to return to church. This is what it means that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all and they shall prophesy. Verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Uh, When was it recently that there was um, 
eclipse of the moon or of the sun by the moon. And I remember thousands of people uh, went to certain places to see that. And then, of course, in some areas, there were so many clouds, they didn't see anything hardly. But in some, they did. So there's no doubt. Yesterday, when I was driving, um, two of my congregations are near Effingham, Illinois, that I do every Sunday. And I love it when the clouds are out because I'm driving right into the sun. I'm going east. And there were sufficient clouds, but the sun was quite visible. And it was a great big orange circle. But there were so many clouds out that the rays were not at all hitting the car so that you had to put your sunglasses on. It was like seeing the moon as a great big circle, but it was the sun instead. And uh, I almost thought if my wife had been with me, she would be definitely taking pictures. She takes pictures of clouds and the sun and all this sort of thing. But it was really the whole sky was overclouded, and yet there was this brilliant orange sun, but its rays were not getting through where you had to wear sunglasses. And it kind of reminds me of what God is saying about wonders in the heavens above. Now, in the eclipse, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. Now, we can even say that that occurred, you know, at the crucifixion, where darkness was over the face of the earth. Remember, we have a worship service. It's called Treor for three hours in the Latin. And that was because even though Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning and died around three in the afternoon, the sun was not darkened until noon till three o'clock. That's that three-hour expense. Verse 21, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, there's a good distinction between description versus prescription. Some people say, and, and you see this on television advertisements, do you want to be saved? Just Call upon the name of the Lord and invite Christ into your heart. Now, I don't know why pastors say this. Because obviously they're talking to unbelievers. There's no unbeliever I've ever met that wants Jesus in his heart. Why would he say such a thing? He's an unbeliever. And if they say, well... The Holy Spirit will give him faith. Well, then he doesn't have to invite Christ into his heart. He's already in there because that's how he received faith. It's just kind of interesting here to take a look at that, that you can read this verse descriptively or prescriptively. Here's how you would read it descriptively. Everyone who opens their mouth and just calls on God says his name, like Jesus, then he's going to be saved. No, that that's not true. Uh, you, you could get 50 atheists to say that, and none of them will be saved. To read it prescriptively 
it means that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, and that is those in faith who do so. For example, Christians call upon the name of the Lord a lot of times. They do it with a sigh sometimes. God interprets that as a prayer. They do it by saying the Lord's Prayer. And they have faith in believing the promises of God. So it's not just simply opening your mouth and saying the word Jesus, thinking that somebody's going to be saved. No. It's the opening of a mouth of a person of faith who then calls upon the name of the Lord. And that's an indication that they will be saved. So Peter then goes in with a sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Now, we need to make a distinction here. Jesus did many signs and wonders, but that was only helpful to those who already were of faith because it was a fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, and so forth. For those who are unbelievers, it's not that they doubted that Jesus did the miracles. No, they even believed he raised Lazarus from the dead. They just believed that that was a trick of Beelzebub. And therefore, God did that through Jesus. This Jesus delivered up. Now, that's referring to Jesus being delivered up to Pontius Pilate. And who was responsible for that? Uh, for some Christians, they would say the Jews were. Others would say, well, the Romans crucified him. But the one who really delivered him up, according to Isaiah, is God himself. God the Father delivered up his son. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Then God did the next part. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. That's the resurrection because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And how do you know that? Well, once more, we're going to quote the scriptures. And the part we're going to quote is from David. Very important. What does he say? I saw the Lord before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So this is really important what David says. And he says this, of course, in the Psalms. Uh, not long ago, I was talking about, in fact, it was in a Bible study, how the Psalms are always the words of Jesus, the prayers of Jesus. And what I did, I told him, give me any Psalm at all, from 1 to 150. Just name a number, and we'll take a look at it. 
and you will see Jesus and his message throughout the whole psalm. And they gave me Psalm 90, and we looked it up, and sure enough, there were a number of places. Some are more specific, like in Psalm 22, pierced in hands and feet, and other places where you get even more specific about the cross. So we've taken a little look here at the sermon of Peter at Pentecost, and notice, keeping the distinctions between descriptive and prescriptive, a sermon needs to be a law and gospel prescription as to what God desires you so to do in order to be saved. And what is that? Be baptized. And he's got promises. You will receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll be taking a look at a hymn for Pentecost written by Martin Luther. God bless. The Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.